Hello and welcome to this special extended edition of the Africa Today podcast from the BBC World Service. I am Dickens Olewe. After a year of elections, trade deals and launch of infrastructure projects, this year has mostly been beset by the coronavirus pandemic. Currently, there have been well over 80 million cases of COVID-19 worldwide, with more than 1.7 million deaths. Every part of our world has been touched. But even amidst the dark clouds that have hung over the world, people have still tried to get on with their lives. So in this podcast, I'll be looking back at the impact of the pandemic, as well as other big issues and trends in Africa over the past 12 months. And joining me from Abuja, Yaoundé and Washington DC to discuss 2020, but also to look forward to what 2021 might bring, is a panel of accomplished guests. Dr. Obi Ezekwesili is a former World Bank official. She also served as Nigeria's education minister. She organized the Bring Back Our Girls campaign after the Chibok abductions in 2014 and remains a leading voice speaking out against corruption and human rights abuses. She joins us from Nigeria's federal capital, Abuja. Dr. Obi, welcome. Black Lives Matter movement has dominated the world this year. As a campaigner, what have you learned from it? that our shared humanity would ultimately rescue us from the challenges that we globally face. Uh, the fact that anywhere in the world you connected to the agitation of our brothers and sisters out there in America, uh, really saying that we are bound by common uh, uh, shared values, shared uh, the human dignity of life. And that is something that uh, should percolate into all the challenges that we must tackle collectively around thank, the world. Thank you so much. Rebecca Ononchong is a technology entrepreneur and also the founder and CEO of AppsTech. She is the board chairperson of AfriLabs, which runs 225 innovation centers in 47 African countries, supporting more than 1 million African entrepreneurs. She joins us from the Cameroon capital, Yaoundé. Rebecca, welcome. Amid the doom and gloom we've had this year, I saw a headline the other day that said African tech companies are having a good year. Are they? You know, we're all human beings. And so um, despite the personal um, tragedies and difficulties that um, COVID-19 has brought um, to all sectors, including tech sector, we do have some wins. And one of them is, you know, because people were on lockdown, um, technology became a lifeline for many, not just individuals, but also businesses. And so the uptake of technology during this period has been incredible and the value that people see in technology through you know education ed tech for instance has really increased um e-health has really increased and so in general we are seeing more people uh, use technology and see the value of technology and because of those that increase in uptake we're also seeing more investment into african startups um, and more of that investment coming from african investors thank you so much Professor Ken Opalo is an assistant professor at Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service. His research interests include legislative politics, electoral politics, and the political economy of development in Africa. 
Professor Paulo, what in your view has been the biggest political story in Africa this year and why? The biggest political story in Africa in 2020 uh, is what's going on in Ethiopia and has been going on in Ethiopia since 2005. Uh, and that's Ethiopia's attempt to regularize and institutionalize its politics. And this is uh, a big story because Ethiopia has more than 100 million people. Uh, it's the colossus of the Horn of Africa. And what happens in Ethiopia will have ramifications for Eritrea, Sudan, Somalia. Somalia, Kenya, uh, Egypt, uh, and other countries uh, across the Red Sea. Thank you, Professor Palo. And finally, Professor Londri Sinye. Professor Sinye is a senior fellow in the Global Economy and Development Program and the African Growth Initiative at the Brookings Institution. His career and research span areas of global political economy, global governance, and sustainable development. Professor Sinye, eradicating extreme poverty for all people everywhere by 2030 is one of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Will the continent achieve it? Despite the tremendous potential uh, uh, that we have on the continent, as I pointed out in my recent book, Unlocking Africa's Business Potential, uh, which identifies uh, uh, major trends by 2030 uh, on the continent, especially uh, at that time, the continent will have about 1.7 billion people and a combined consumer and business uh, spending of about 6.7 uh, US trillion dollars. Uh, I have also highlighted in another publication recently that despite the fast economic growth on the continent in the past uh, few decades, uh, we had more poor people who were left behind. And this is because we have a growth with, without sufficient quality job creation, mm -hmm. but we also have a deeply poor uh, uh, population uh, which is growing faster than the poverty rate. Uh, and uh, finally, we also uh, have government action limited or ineffective pro poor policy intervention uh, interventions and government so we'll see a, a reduced uh, percentage of poor however uh, given the factors that i have highlighted and the fast growing uh, population extreme poverty will remain a challenge and not just in africa in the U.S., for example, is also still a challenge. Th thank you so much. Now, interesting initial thoughts from the panel, and all sounds really good, and I hope uh, to expand uh, more in our conversation. Now, there's only one way to kickstart uh, our conversation, and that's by looking back on a year that has been dominated by the COVID-19 pandemic. More than 2 million cases have been confirmed in Africa, and at least 56,000 deaths have been reported across the continent. The World Health Organization had warned back in April that Africa was going to be the next epicenter of the pandemic. That has not happened. The continent is not out of the woods yet, but uh, Dr. Obi, what's your assessment of how African countries have handled this health crisis? Well, I think that we have to balance the way that we may sound triumphalist about the effect that COVID-19 has had on human life on our continent. I think that much more research is going to help us understand better 
whether this is a real case of God's divine grace helping us to avoid the calamity that has been what we've seen around the rest of the world. But you know that the human health impact has not been significant compared to the rest of the world. God help the families that have lost people all over the world because even one person is a big loss for all of us. But the economic impact on our continent has been quite devastating. Many more Africans, according to estimate, have dropped into poverty. According to estimate, a possible 50 million would have been added to the poverty numbers and we would have already lost the gains that we made over a period of at least two decades in terms of strengthening economic growth because now we are faced with recession in 25 years. That is an indication for us that health is economy and economy is health. And we are a continent that has not been effective in the management of health systems, of education systems, because we haven't paid as much attention as we should to human capital development or human development in general, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. rather putting our emphasis and focus on natural resources like oil, gold, and copper, and things that don't have enduring and sustainable value. This is a wake-up call for our continent. Now, the way out of this crisis, um, experts are telling us, is by means of uh, a vaccine. And now we see a situation where rich countries are buying up all the available stocks, and with some reports suggesting that uh, some low-income countries will probably have to wait uh, until 2024. What do you think Africa should uh, should do? What what kind of leverage does Africa have if this is the current situation, uh, uh, Professor Palo? First of all, I'd, I'd like to wholeheartedly agree uh, with the admonition against any triumphalist sort of uh, celebration of uh, African countries' performance on COVID. It's, it's been by sheer luck that a variety of factors that scientists are still uncovering that this pandemic has not been a disaster on the continent. Government response has been a disaster uh, in, in terms of gov African government's inability to uh, effect economic policies that would cushion citizens against the economic effects of lockdowns. Uh, and, and that also speaks to the question of vaccines. So, you know, if you look at the vaccine situation, many African countries are at the mercy of donor governments' willingness to either pay for the vaccines uh, or lean on the pharmaceutical companies uh, making the vaccines to waive property rights issues surrounding the patents uh, uh, involved. Now, you know, moving forward, I think what African governments can do, because right now the primary goal should be to get the vaccines to as many people as possible, uh, is to uh, continue the campaign uh, and make it clear that this will remain a global problem so that, you know, it, it's not going to be possible to vaccinate a small portion of humanity and neglect uh, lower income countries. And so, you know, there's need for a concerted global effort uh, among African countries, countries in Latin America, countries in Asia, to 
make sure that you know we don't make the mistakes that were made with ARVs, uh, which took uh, a lot longer than they should have to arrive uh, in low-income countries and therefore save lives. And, and Rebecca, you are an entrepreneur. I'm just curious whether you could just let us in about your experience. How has your uh, businesses and, and you know, business interests across the continent been affected because of the pandemic? My main uh, office is in the U.S. And um, so because of the lockdown, um, a lot more of our activity development work um, engineering work is now happening on the continent um, in Cameroon, um, where I'm based, um, simply because it's just easier to work. We we never went into any type of lockdown in Cameroon. So the borders were closed. But um, other than that, um, business activity continued, you know, a little bit slower than usual. But um, so for me personally, I was able to leverage the fact that I had operations on the continent where there was a lower impact. And, you know, I think that this was really an opportunity for other countries to see Africa as a viable alternative for offshore work. You know, we're still able to work, um, you know, as um, Dr. Obi clearly said, yes, there's an issue of human capital. Let's try to make the best of this and see this as an opportunity to use our talent and sell our talent to the rest of the world. So so what are are some of, uh, Rebecca, what are some of the changes and trends you have seen that you think that probably has set the continent in a in kind of a, a different path especially when it comes to uh, digital transformation a lot of governments talk about digital transformation about the importance of the digital economy but they don't really support or use that economy you know their email is on yahoo you know and anytime that they need to purchase Um, uh, uh, international uh, digital services they purchase from overseas. And so because of the difficulty in travel for foreign consultants, um, they've had to use local talent and perhaps discovering the, the, the depth of the talent and the breadth of the talent that we do have on the continent. And also having to use digital tools like and find out that an internet connection is not a luxury that this is a necessity and that you make it must make it very available and very affordable to all Africans so that we can develop the continent. Um, and so I think there's been a mind shift. And for me, that's been the most critical gain in this pandemic. And uh, Professor Laundrie, I want to come to you. I mean, the African Union uh, published a study uh, about the economic impact uh, of COVID-19 on the continent. And what they were saying is that the continent could lose up to $500 billion. Uh, the World Bank as well said that the, the uh, continent might face uh, its first recession in 25 years. But you argue that Africa is more resilient than we think. So the continent uh, is more resilient uh, than people think for many reasons. The first and foremost is the impact. I, I don't want to underestimate the fact that uh, and I think uh, Professor Ken Opalo highlighted it, the continent has been fortunate not to have been affected from a health perspective in the same way that many other parts of the world, including the United States, have been affected. But having said that, Africa in 2020 is very different from the continent in the late 80s or 90s. And this uh, for many reasons. 
first, the level of competitiveness. So you will see many African countries among, uh, and I can name, for example, Mauritius, South Africa, Morocco, Seychelles, Tunisia, Algeria, Botswana, Egypt, Namibia, Kenya, or Rwanda among the top uh, 100 most competitive economies. That doesn't mean that more work should not be done, so we still have uh, to increase that number. But we also have that uh, accountability, the, the, the rise of uh, accountability, which has made a monumental difference. More African uh, citizens per Afrobarometer survey uh, uh, want democracy, want accountable governance, and sometimes even more than effective governance, and checks and balances matter in achieving uh, performance as well. So we have the uh, foreign direct investment, which uh, uh, have uh, grown substantially on the continent. We have regional integration with the coming, uh, uh, the, the official launch of the African continental free trade uh, area, which will be uh, implemented uh, very soon, uh, starting as of January. And finally, we have the fast digitalization and uh, the fact that Africa is embracing the fourth industrial uh, revolution. And what's it, what uh, is that? The fourth industrial uh, revolution build uh, from digital transformation but goes beyond. So it's characterized by the fusion of the digital, biological and physical world, which is blurring um, the frontier between uh, the, the, those uh, areas. And technologies associated with the fourth industrial revolution will include mm -hmm. artificial intelligence, cloud computing, robotics, uh, 3D printing, internet of things, among other. And one of the reasons why it is extremely important is the transformative potential of the fourth industrial revolution for African economies, including in encouraging growth and structural transformation, fighting poverty and inequality, reinventing labor skills and production, and increasing uh, financial services and investment, or also modernizing agriculture, agri-industry. Thank you for that. Uh, one thing that you, you've just mentioned, which I think I want to bring uh, Dr. Obi here. From the 1st of January 2021, the African Continental Free Trade Area, popularly known by its acronym AFCTA, will be in operation. Why is this a big deal, uh, Dr. Obi? The free trade um, agreement is a big deal for our continent uh, because at the moment, regional trade uh, in our continent trails all other continents. Uh, whether it is uh, Latin America at uh, 45 to 50 uh, percent, or it is uh, Europe uh, 70 to 80 percent, or if, if it's uh, South Asia uh, at uh, 55 to anything between 60 and 65. So we trail with a percentage of about 15, uh, 15 percent, and yet this is an economy with slack opportunities for growth. And so just making sure that we uh, harmonize and we uh, uh, amplify uh, the, the, the sectors that where the growth opportunities are for us would surely be the pathway to uh, prosperity and reduction of poverty on our continent. And especially in a situation where global trade has become much more difficult to uh, navigate. And there was a report in September uh, in a Chinese state publication calling for the integration of the Belt and Road Initiative uh, with AFCTA. Uh, Professor Opalo, is this a good idea? Trade is always a good idea. 
and uh, you know the Belt and Road Initiative has as both political and economic components. Um, I think individual African states should navigate the political components of uh, uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. But uh, on the economic side, uh, I don't see a reason why African states shouldn't band together uh, and and through the CFTA uh, strike better bargains for themselves uh, vis-a-vis major players like China, Europe, the United States, etc., so you know, I, I think I think you know we we tend to conflate the two, but uh, I think the two can be decoupled. The political project is 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 marky and should be handled at individual country level, uh, but the e- economic project I think is a good one. A more integrated, uh, the more Africa gets integrated into the global economy on its own terms or or in, in uh, on favorable terms. Uh, the better it will be uh, for individual African countries. Each individually, they're all very small, and so it will be very difficult for the Gambia or Burundi to uh, engage in trade negotiations with China. But as a collective, you know, 55 countries, uh, more than $2 trillion uh, in output, would provide a lot of bargaining power to get good trade deals for the continent and individual countries. And Rebecca, as an entrepreneur, what do you see as the opportunities when FCTA uh, kicks off? You know, I think a lot of us are taking a wait and see attitude only because we've had so many promises before from our leaders that have never um, really materialized other than on paper. There's a lot of opportunity if uh, the AFCFTA is able to really um, be the the actually be what it promises to be um, especially in payments for instance you know you can buy um, something only if you have PayPal or another one of the European or American uh, payment services but our payment services end at our borders um, you know, we have so many different central banks and currencies. And so if we can alleviate the payment issue, um, a lot of at least digital trade can can instantly increase across the continent. And I think that would be a, a big win very early on if we can get some kind of agreement that allows people to do cross-border payments. The other issue I want to talk about uh, as well is the state of democracy uh, on the continent. And um, uh, before that, I mean, another issue as well, which is equally as as important is, uh, you know, Zambia became the first uh, country in Africa to default on its debt. And there are fears that others could follow. Uh, Angola, Republic of Congo, Djibouti, Kenya have been mentioned. Is there a way out, Professor Sinye? Yes, there is definitely a way out. And it is really important to organize a conference of uh, public and private lenders to really understand uh, the causes of the Zambian uh, performance because they are also related to other countries. So that in itself is not a bad thing, but it is the uh, poor use of it which may be problematic. I have the countries use uh, it for productive investment in a sustainable way, or did they also uh, receive uh, resources 
uh, in a non-transparent way and have misused those resources and creating, uh, contributing to uh, illicit flows. So I think that the Zambian example should be taken very seriously and the, the African leaders, the international community should really engage uh, to do a, a serious diagnosis uh, of the situation to help prevent uh, the spread. And I want to mention that even before the COVID-19 crisis, um, about a third of uh, sub-Saharan African countries were already at, uh, uh, at high risk uh, of uh, debt distress. Putting this into consideration means that it is really important to reconsider the, the engagement because now we don't just have the public uh, uh, debt that the continent was used to, have, to receive, including with the IMF, including with the World Bank, among others, uh, other players uh, or bilateral partners, but we also have the private one where the negotiations uh, are more complex. So mm-hmm. uh, extremely important to act seriously about Zambia and to learn lessons for other countries uh, moving forward, including preventing poor practices by some uh, private uh, or even public partners. Mm. Let's talk about the democracy. Uganda, Zambia, Ethiopia, Libya, and Gambia will hold elections, uh, all of them consequential in, uh, in their own way. But the question of whether they will be free and fair is, uh, is another issue. Uh, we saw this year the Malawi Constitutional Court annulling uh, a fraudulent election. Uh, Professor Paulo, how can Africa transition beyond a few exceptional countries who oversee free and fair elections? That, that, that's a good question, and, and I think it, it, it's a bigger question about political development, uh, right? So I think, I think you know, what we've seen since the early 1990s was uh, sort of the institutionalization of politics in Africa with regularized elections, many of which uh, often were not as free and fair as it could be. I think the next big transition for African countries will be uh, that that are interested in consolidating their democracies will be in how to make democracy work. More often than not, we tend to focus on whether the conduct of elections uh, uh, itself is free and fair, uh, instead of thinking of the more fundamental questions about the functioning of democracies on the continent. And I think uh, bigger questions will revolve around, you know, uh, when you think of, say, Zambia that uh, Professor Senior has mentioned, the the inability of Zambia to conduct free and free elections is tightly linked to uh, Zambia's the Zambian state's capacity to deliver on citizens' demands, uh, the Zambian government's uh, uh, ability to borrow money and spend it properly, transparency in finance management in the region. Uh, and so all those will, will be key questions. The question will be you know, more about how to make democracy work, however messy it is, rather than just focusing on whether individual elections are free and fair. And Dr. Obi, I just want to bring you here because you have run for office. You were a presidential candidate in 2019. The issues to do with debt, uh, foreign uh, debt, you know, borrowing and, and all that, I mean, those are weighty uh, political issues. I'm just curious, how can those issues be integrated within the polity, uh, African polity, so that citizens are actually uh, engaged and also aware about what candidates think about uh, some of these big issues? Well, I think that the matter of debt has to do with the larger 
challenges of simply running good economic governance on our continent. And when you then um, situate it around the problems of uh, unsustainable debt that our public leaders are prone to taking, then it questions the readiness of citizens to engage and to compel those that govern them to run tidy economy. I think that um, there is a level of land helplessness that we will have to deal with uh, on our continent. I certainly did right that the Chinese for, you know, being uh, not very transparent with the rest of the world on, uh, on COVID-19 and the impact that it subsequently had on our economy should bear responsibility for some of uh, the debt uh, situations on the continent. That's one side of it. The other side of it is that our irresponsible political leaders need to sit down and realize that the world does not owe us every seasonal cancellation of debt that they ratchet up without there being commensurate impact and value for those debts. And it's going to happen when the citizens are ready. And I, I want to hear your views uh, on another challenge, and that is climate change. Africa uh, has been said to be the continent uh, most vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. I'm curious if you have any policy suggestions that the continent should be pursuing or pushing for uh, at the UN Climate Change uh, Summit next year. Uh, Rebecca? Um, <laughs> we have a lot of entrepreneurs that have developed um, innovation um, regarding um climate change and reducing uh, use of energy or alternative uses of energy. Unfortunately, these entrepreneurs are not getting a lot of support from um, our governments. Um, it seems that the oil and gas industries get a lot more attention um, from our, our leadership and that our, our entrepreneurs are not seen as an industry. And so until alternative means of energy are seen as a viable industry that creates jobs, that creates wealth, we'll lose out on another opportunity. And Professor Senior? So I think that it is really critical to consider the climate crisis and uh, environmental sustainability uh, on the continent. So that's why I will rephrase uh, perhaps slightly differently. First, we need to have a greener African continental free trade area. And if in the current configuration not enough has been done when framing uh, the uh, AFCFTA, uh, probably in the next negotiation phase and in the implementation, uh, many of the measures could be uh, adopted. So and Africa the, should have a collective position. Is that what you're suggesting? Absolutely. Africa has, should have a collective position and it should be aligned with the imperative of development of innovation of uh, the the continent, taking into consideration the, the progress in trade, but also uh, the critical importance of considering the uh, climate conflict uh, fragility uh, nexus. And uh, Professor Paolo, how does Africa, um, you know, take charge uh, in this climate crisis that the world faces? Take charge is, is the, the right way to, uh, of putting it. And in addition to echoing what has already been said, uh, I think I think African countries should yeah. really hold the line and, mm -hmm. and, and make it clear that, you know, poverty is not a viable climate strategy. Uh, and so, you know, they shouldn't just buy into solutions that are parachuted in from elsewhere. And as Rebecca is suggesting, right, uh, have really, uh, you know, leverage every single uh, uh, thing they have to make sure that 
whatever economic strategies they adopt or technologies are, are driven by uh, the objective of economic growth as opposed to just being green for the sake of being green mm-hmm. uh, because you know Africans do not contribute to the ongoing global warming but maybe the ones to pay the highest price uh, in the name of uh, uh, green economies so I, I think African countries really need to hold the line and and strike hard bargains uh, including by threatening to not go by uh, some of these resolutions if they come at uh, unjustified economic cost. And uh, Dr. Obi, I also want your comment on this. And um, I kind of want to just tie it with uh, uh, the, the security uh, situation uh, on the continent because climate change uh, is a factor. But then uh, we're also seeing a rise in um, kind of like militancy, you know, in the West, across the Sahel, in the... Um, in East Africa, Mozambique as well is also uh, f- facing the same problem. So, you know, we've talked about, you know, the free trade agreement, the Africa tr- uh, free trade agreement, but all these big grand plans that the continent uh, wants to pursue cannot be done uh, without solving uh, the insecurity problem. So what's the way forward? How can this be solved? I think that we, we're just going to go back to the matter of Africa running governance systems that are effective. We, we know that our greatest problem on the continent is uh, the fact that we, we are unfortunately surrounded by uh, ineffectual uh, po- po- political leaders. Um, and so when you look at the, the matter of um, security, insecurity, uh, the, the, and, the, and the fragility that, that, that it creates, and you look at the problem of climate change and how it intersects with uh, the, the problem of insecurity, it traces itself in many ways back to uh, the conflicts that re- or, or originate from lack of opportunities that we're seeing massively across the continent. So the continent is showing this disparity between the upper percentile of people like Rebecca and the younger generation who are and can stand at at, at equal shoulders with their contemporaries abroad. And yet there is a huge pile of Africans who are not getting any opportunities. So if we're going to deal with all of these issues in the integrated way that they are, we must get our governance to be effective. We must fix politics on our continent. Let's call it spade a spade. We're not being governed by our best across the countries of, the, of, of Africa. And that is presenting a problem for economic management, economic development, and therefore the necessary shared and inclusive prosperity that would enable our continent be a more peaceful environment in which to live in. So when you talk climate change and you talk insecurity and you see how they intersect, you must connect it to the fact that the best kind of quality policies Mm -hmm. that would solve these problems are not on the table. Public policy is suffering on our continent. Just look at climate change. Adaptation is a major issue. Adaptation has a huge cost. How is it even integrated into existing budgetary processes on our continent? How is it that our continent continues to suffer from value for money of investments in the public sector? How is it that our continent hasn't even uh, agreed with some philosophical underpinnings that Mm -hmm. there are certain problems that can be better solved by business and other problems that will be better solved by government. Clearly, um, a lot needs to to go into that. So we have covered a lot of ground and discussed some major themes. But before we wrap up, 
I wonder whether there are areas uh, which, uh, for example, the arts, which you think uh, might flourish uh, in 2021. And also, you know, maybe share with us just briefly what your hopes are for 2021. I am so hopeful about the young people and the women of this continent. If anything gives me hope, those two segments of our population give me plenty of hope. In spite of all that burden them, they have refused to be beaten down. They have consistently been innovative. They have been creative. They have by themselves raised some level of productivity around talent-based activities. Mm -hmm. Whenever government is involved, our people don't do well. But when our people are trying to do something by themselves in sectors that speak to their talent, they do well, which means that governance has become a burden that must be addressed on our continent. Thank you so much. And Professor Senior? Uh, two points. The critical importance of leadership and inclusion, including of young people and, and women, as uh, pointed out uh, by Dr. Obi. And the second point is the focus on uh, what we call at the Brookings Institution, uh, industries uh, without uh, smokestacks, uh, which are ICT-based industry, uh, inclusive also of horticulture, agri-industry, uh, broader services, and in Export in those industries have grown six times faster than export in traditional manufacturing from 1998 to 2015. And they are often overlooked when we speak about uh, Africa path uh, to development or Africa uh, manufacturing. However, they share the same type of characteristic, uh, exportability, uh, tradability. They are labor intensive, so they can absorb a high proportion of moderately skilled workers, including young people and women. Mm -hmm. And finally, they are also quite productive and contribute to the broader strength of African economies. So I think that is areas where I'm very hopeful for. And Rebecca, what are your hopes for the new year, briefly? I really hope that, again, you know, almost echoing what has already been said, that um, our our leadership starts to look a lot more like our population, um, that um, the energy and enthusiasm that we see in the youth is starting to be represented at the top, um, and that there's full participation, not just inclusion of women and um, of youth in um, our, our democracies. Thank you. And Professor Paolo, you have the last word. I also have two points. One, um, I'm, I'm, I'm holding out hope that the coming debt crises will force a rethink in economic policymaking on the continent so that instead of the obsession with white elephant uh, infrastructure projects, African policymakers will make policies that meet our people where they work and live along the lines that have been suggested before. And, and that means, you know, agriculture, uh, labor intensive tasks, SMEs, etc. I'm also hopeful that there will be continued demand for better governance. I think as the continent is urbanizing, a lot of the safety valves that our incompetent leadership has relied on, especially agriculture, will get off the table. And so sound economic management will be critical for continued political stability. And, and I hope that that will create more pressure for good and effective governance moving forward. Dr. Obi Ezequili, Rebecca Onjonchong, Dr. Ken Opalo, Professor Landry Sinye, thank you so much for joining me and I'm sure our audience will absolutely benefit a lot from your insights today.
You've been listening to the Africa Today podcast from the BBC World Service. Please remember to download and subscribe and to give us a rating via your podcast app. There'll be no Africa Today tomorrow as it's a holiday, but we will be back on Monday, the 4th of January. Until then, I am Dickens Olewe saying goodbye and wishing you a happy new year.